night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Annie Keffer, educator, speaker, and author of Leadership Built on Why, a guide for young adults. It's a myth that young people should wait until they're older to become leaders. The Parkland school shooting survivors are outstanding examples of this. Their insights, energy, and service are incredibly valuable right now. Nationally recognized speaker Annie Keffer lays out how young adults can aim high, find their essential purpose, become tomorrow's leaders, and gain the courage to lead from their convictions. Uh, Annie is featured on CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox Affiliates, and in the New York Business Journal. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Annie. Good evening, Catherine. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I guess the big idea is, and uh, this is coming from you, that even even the most determined people, even the most determined of us are going to be pushed off course at some point, uh, you know, affected by someone's hurtful criticism or just by our own inner voices. So no matter how focused we are, I guess, in making our plans for success, it's very easy to be derailed by, our, by negativity. Um, so... Why does it matter, particularly for obviously for young adults, because your book is a guide for young adults not to be railroaded by this negativity? Um, why it matters? What do we have to? Why does it matter? Why do you write a book like this for young adults so that they they won't be affected by negativity and uh, and uh, as I say, get railroaded by not being able to accomplish their goals and or dreams? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a it's a big topic. It's something that we all deal with. We're human, right? It's what makes us real. The fact that we want to be uh, approved, we want to be known, we want to be loved, we want to be cheered on by other people. But the thing is, when we start to move, we start to go into our purpose and our passion, and we start to be leaders whether on a small scale or on a big scale, people are going to come out of the woodworks, whether that's in your family, your friends, those in your community, people on social media, they're going to start to say negative comments. They're going to start to kind of push and say, well, are you sure you can do that? Are you sure you're the right person to do that? And, you know, I always say a dog never barks at a parked car. A dog only parks at a car that's moving. So as soon as you start to go, you're going to start to hear this criticism. And, the fact is we have to recognize that it hurts. It's okay to understand and it's okay to feel the fact that, hey, that, that doesn't feel good. It hurts. Uh, it's hard to deal with that kind of stuff, but never to let it derail you. It's going to be easy to say, okay, then maybe I'm not right. I thought everyone was going to be on board. But the thing is, when you start to move away from the crowd, from the masses, you start to kind of walk in the why other do, direction. I want to interrupt you for a second, but why do you yeah. think the crowds, the crowd, whoever the crowd is, as you say, family, it could be anybody, why do yeah. they do that? What's the need, what is their need for doing that to try to derail you? What, what's the point? Uh, I think it's twofold. I think a lot of times that people don't like change. Change is scary. And when they see you change, it kind of stirs something up inside of them that they say, well, maybe I need to change. But that's it's terrifying for a lot of people, whether it's, like I said, on a big scale or a small scale change, it's scary for people. And a lot of times that sparks sort of a jealousy or an envy of they wish they could do that and they see you doing that and they don't feel like they can do the same. So it's easier to tear people down, especially today in our social media world. I know 
I'm sure you're aware of this, Catherine, that when there's a screen and I don't have to look at your face, it's so much easier to tear you down than if I looked you in the eye. So people are are afraid to change. People know they have to change, but they don't know how or they're afraid to do it. And so they would rather tear you down than do the change and do the work that's necessary. So given that, and I'm sort of bringing back, you were beginning to respond to, to my other question. So what do you do? Okay, these people, they have a need to put you down because they feel uncomfortable, because they are not doing what perhaps they feel they should be doing and they see you doing it. So then what do you, what do, you do, the one who wants to move forward? And I guess particularly for young adults, because there's a lot of other things associated with young adults wanting to be leaders as opposed to older people wanting to be leaders. It's, it's different. It's a different context. Yeah, absolutely. So I think to recognize the fact that it's okay to feel hurt by it. It's okay. You don't have to have it. You want to have a thick skin, as we say, you know, in, in the one article I wrote, I say, have be like a whale shark. They have the thickest skin um, of any animal. And I think that that's helpful, but it's still going to hurt. And I think it's okay to, to recognize that and to feel that. But ultimately, we'd, what I say is you have to thank the naysayers. You have to thank the people that criticize you because it shows you that you're moving in the right direction. It shows you that you're standing up and that you're leading, and you have to thank them for what they're saying because it's, it's a fire. It's a motivation to keep going, to keep doing what you were called to do because ultimately – what you're doing is you're giving them permission to start to be leaders themselves. They may not take that permission. They may not start to lead right away. But the fact that you're walking out um, out of the crowd, you're kind of walking alone or um, you're a salmon swimming upstream, you're going to have to walk alone for a little while. But you'll start to realize as you look down the road that people are coming up behind you. They just needed somebody else to give them the permission to do the same. So when you start to walk out into your calling to be a leader, to give yourself permission that you can do this now, you don't have to wait, you're giving other people the permission to do the same, that sigh of relief, okay, I know I can do this, even if I don't do it right away, I've seen a great example of it, and we just have to thank those people because they're that motivation to keep going and to keep fighting and to keep being that change that we want to see in our world. So, Annie, how did, can you put that in the context of the Parkland shootings of these young high school kids? Because this is kind of unique, at least now in, 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 our, in America today, to have high school kids taking such a lead, let's say, on, on gun control. Um, and that's very – we've had college kids, you know, in the Vietnam War and college kids in, in maybe the civil rights movement, but not really high school kids, and that's very unique. So – how is that happening? Why now? And how? Let's talk about all of what you've you've just mentioned in terms of of these kids and really young people who are still living in their parents' houses who don't have quite the um, the freedom. Let's say if you're a college student and you're over eighteen and you're on your own, it presents a different kind of a, a, a situation, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is part of the reason that a lot of people, especially young people, don't lead is because they think, okay, so maybe I don't have the kind of power that maybe a politician would have or a CEO or someone with a job or a college education. And that may be true in some sense. That just does not mean that you can't do something at the grassroots level that is just as powerful that gets the conversation going. And I think that's what these kids are doing, right? So we've all been aware that something needs to change. But People are afraid to have these conversations, and they're scary conversations, and a lot of people have debates, and it feels intimidating, 
but these kids are finally saying that may be true, but I know I have to change it. I know I have to be a leader. So having these conversations, getting people aware, um, getting people talking about what are some possible solutions, and then in that, doing stuff in their community. So a lot of times people will say, well, you know, I can't really do anything, but I ask them, what are you doing Sunday through Saturday to make sure you can start to change something? So maybe right now you can't change a law. Maybe right now you can't speak in front of this group of people, but you can raise awareness in your community. You can have conversations in your high schools. You can rally people together and say, what are some possible solutions? What can we do in our own community to make sure this doesn't happen and to spread that word? And that's the great tool that social media is, right, that we can start to show that change, show what we're doing in our community and our level that's really working and that's really helping and then show other people that it's possible in their community. So I think what they're doing is unbelievable, amazing. I commend them for being strong because there are a lot of people that are coming up against them, but they're choosing not to stand down. They're choosing to lead. They realize that there's a need in our world and that they're going to fulfill it in some way and that they're hoping that people stand around behind them and it's definitely happening. And they are now, and they have been, and unfortunately continue to be, they're the victims of these crimes. They're the ones who get up and have to go to school every day and be concerned that there's going to be a shooter in their school. Um, So, yeah, so they are literally in the trenches. They are in the war. What do they do, like, in, in your experience, like, and I know in the book you have examples. I want to talk about some of these examples of uh, phenomenal leaders uh, and, and, and role models, which is, is really, it's, I think it's always important to have role models. What do these students do, these young people do, uh, young adults do, if, if some of the conflict or the negative support, negative, I shouldn't call it support, the negativity comes from their parents, and they feel their parents don't agree with them, don't want them to do this. How is there any way that they can, you know, get beyond that, or are they kind of stuck? So I think um, the best thing, which is something that I keep saying and something that a lot of people are saying, is just open a dialogue, have a conversation. So I'm always an advocate for respecting your parents, respecting your leader, um, always being, even if you don't agree, even if you're on two opposite sides, we always have to have respect for each other, right? We have to acknowledge where the other person is coming from, acknowledge maybe the fears that are driving kind of their point of view, and respectfully have a dialogue about it. Again, always respecting the parents and the leaders, but sitting down with them and saying, hey, mom and dad, I would love to have a conversation about maybe why you feel I shouldn't be doing this. Do you have a fear? Do you have a concern? Um, How can we partner together to start fighting this in a way that makes us both happy? So it's just opening up that dialogue. Because a lot of times, you know, we can assume, we think, oh, the other person thinks this. Or maybe they think that, but it may be the opposite of that. So I just think, you know, raising that awareness even in your own family. And I think that's great for parents even um, with young kids because, you know, kids are more aware of what's going on now than they ever have been. So sitting down on a regular basis and asking them, you know, how how are they a leader today? How did they fail today? Um, What are they thinking? How are they feeling about what's going on in the world? How can, you know, we be there for them? And just having those conversations to start paying attention to what they're they're asking and they're looking for and they're needing. And I think that's really uh, an important thing so then everyone feels heard and then they can start to partner together in that. So having the conversation, that's number one. Or maybe that's number two, because you also mentioned that the first step of every amazing leader is self-belief. Self-belief. Yes. Students or whomever, or these young adults, have to really believe in what they're doing. And then it open up the conversation. And, Absolutely. I mean, that's, wouldn't you say that's, I mean, you do say that, but that is, 
important for any leader, actually, to really believe in yourself and what you're doing and what you have to say. Um, yeah. One of the other things... Because they, that, always, that, they always say, yeah, you know, ahead. you can't love other people until you love yourself. It's the same thing. You can't be a leader for others until you are a leader in your own life, until you really, truly believe. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you won't face the, the days that, oh, I don't feel like a leader, or I don't feel like doing this, that you won't have those days, but there has to be an inherent foundation of a belief that, no, I was made to do this. I was made to be a leader in this way and to walk down that path, and then you can start to lead others. And I guess what goes along with this, uh, another thing that you mentioned, you really have to learn to swim upstream, as you put it. You really have yeah. to be able to do that, and in that put you in a category of kind of going from the ordinary to the extraordinary if you're able to do that um, as a young person. Can you give me examples in the book? Because, I mean, I think examples are always helpful in your book and also uh, when people are listening. Like, who are people who have done it? Who are these role models um, that we can turn to or that young people can turn to so that they can accomplish just what we, you know, what we've been talking about, be good leadership? Yeah, I mean, you know, we look at some of the older the older models in the sense they've been around for a while, like Oprah and Einstein, and those are kind of the big names of people that, you know, if you look at their stories, they they were not well known from the beginning. This was they were not overnight people that just got what they wanted. They had to fight. There there were people that told them they were stupid or that they couldn't do it or they, they would never have a show. And they really had to fight to be leaders in their own way. So leadership is not um, a one-size-fits-all in the sense that it doesn't matter your, your age or your category or your career, your life path. It's in whatever way you choose to say, this is what I was called to do and this is what I know I'm supposed to do and I'm just going to keep doing it anyways. I'm going to keep walking this path no matter what everyone else does. And a couple other um, people that come to mind are like Blake Mykoski with um, Tom's and it's just he saw a need and this is kind of my own story too is just a lot of times we see this need so bringing it back to even gun control so it's kind of like looking at Mount Everest Catherine right so you're you're the base of Mount Everest and you're going okay I know I have to move this left but is it even possible does it feel like it's something I can do is this is this a crazy idea right and so We've all looked at these big problems and these big needs in our world, and we've said, I don't know how exactly I'm going to get it done, but I'm going to start walking this path to do it. And um, so with Tom, he saw a need in Argentina of these kids had no shoes. And he's like, I'm all the way in America. How can I even do this? And he walked down this path of figuring out how he could start to help these kids have shoes to be able to go to school and to learn, have an education. And in my own world, I I saw this generation behind me and I was wondering, you know, they're in deep need of leadership and, and guidance and role models to know that they can do this. And so I turned around and I said, I'm going to start walking in, in my own life and I want to give other people permission to do the same. And that's what these Parkland High School students are doing. They're walking the crazy path that feels intimidating and scary and they're doing it and they're giving other people permission to do it in their own lives and in their own community. Yeah, and then it takes on, I don't want to say, sort of a life of its own in a good way with social media, obviously. It's sort of the perfect storm. They have access to, to information. They have access to being able to get this information out worldwide, right. um, which is right. obviously, yeah, a good thing. But for you personally, because you kind of just touched on that, so tell us your, your story in detail, like because obviously this is something that you believe in, um, empowering young people and empowering them so that they will be strong leaders. So 
how start with yourself. I mean, were you ever in a position of feeling less than, not believing in what you were able to do, and then something changed for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up uh, in a family that was all about leadership. So my parents did a great job of telling us what leadership was, sort of the theory, and then showing us in their own lives what it looked like. So I saw this marriage of knowledge and action, realizing that you can't have one without the other in terms of leadership. You have to know what it is, the true definition, and then you have to live it out. And so it was great growing up in that mindset. The problem became is that I bought into so many myths and lies that I had to be a certain age to be a leader. I had to be in college or I had to have a job or someone had to say, hey, Annie, you're a leader or you're ahead of this uh, sports team or in this community group or an after school program. And so I started to shrink away and I started to play small. I, I, I put myself in these little nice white boxes that society gave me and I just let them label me and say, okay, I'm just going to, you know, put my head down and just live my life. And I got to the point where I was like, am I even here for a reason or a purpose? Does my life even matter? I just kind of felt like I was taking up space and I was just taking up air at that point. And so I deeply struggled with really a lot of self-doubt and self-worth of just feeling like there was no reason for me to do anything other than, you know, get a nice job and, and live my life. But I But at the same time, I realized something in me was like, that's not true. There's something greater that you have to do. And so, again, it was that idea of looking at Mount Everest, looking at my own situation, looking at the generation, my own generation and the generation behind me and saying, like, we need to stand up now. We can't wait for other people. We can't wait for our parents or our grandparents or the leaders we have now. We have to do what we know is right. We have to be leaders in our own way. So I was 19, and I was at a a conference, and I remember going up to my hotel room, and I looked myself uh, in the mirror, and I was like, I'm going to write a book for women and men for my age and younger to say, we can do this now. I can give you the path to sort of step over some of the hurdles and give you some of the tools that you need to be leaders in your communities, on a national, on an international level, whatever you, whatever path you have. Um, and so I sort of, I started walking down that path and none of my friends, I was, I was in college and graduating college through this whole process. And, you know, none of my friends were doing this. It wasn't something that was talked about. It wasn't something outside of my family that was really push or, um, you know, greatly praised. And so I was sort of walking this path alone. And then, you know, a couple of years down the road, I started to see these people come up behind me who had allowed themselves to have that permission because I gave myself that same permission. Um, and so now I get to, to speak and to teach and to mentor these people. And it's been an amazing journey to see them um, take that permission and build their own foundation and really walk down a, a really neat path. So it's it's exactly what you say in the book. This we just I mentioned earlier. This you know you had to have this self belief. But I think your example is a, is really a good one because I, most of us or many of us, and I know I fall or fell into that category. You need that ex, especially let's say in college and from your parents. And uh, I'm thinking I had my, you know a very successful father, but it was always that external approval I needed in order to maybe think that I could pursue my passion or what I thought was important or whatever I wanted to lead in. That was one thing. And this whole thing about credentials, you need credentials, you need credentials. You have to wait till you graduate from college. You have to wait till you go to graduate school. You have to wait till you get the right kind of a job. And then people will take you seriously. 
And that's not really true, is what you're saying. Right. You don't have to wait for all of that. That can happen. That can be part of the process. But you don't have to wait for that. You can start now. You can start at 19 like you did. I guess the right. question also is, you can't. You said you went it alone. Did you really go it alone? Don't you need somebody? Maybe if it's not your parents or your teacher, but don't you need one person or to say, okay, you know what, you're doing a good thing. Yeah, for sure. So the best way, because um, a lot of times you won't get this from your peers. Now th- there are times that you do. There are times that you might have one to two peers around you that, um, or friends that are cheering you on and that really are like in it with you, and that's amazing. And I probably had, you know, one or two a little bit farther down the road. Um, But I actually had a great, besides my parents, I had a great um, mentor. Um, I found she was a speaker and a leader for girls and she was speaking nationally across the country. And she and I got connected. And that was great for me because I wasn't learning this in college, but she was that extra motivation, that extra reminder that we're doing a great thing, that the hard stuff is worth it, that it makes it um, part of the part of the journey and it's what makes you a better person makes you um, more empathetic and sympathetic with people and that was that kind of great other outside voice that cheered me on and motivated motivated me in this journey and I see also that you're the founder of the young women of influence conference now <clears throat> what is that um, is that something new is this something that you just created or tell, tell us about that because we only have a few minutes left yeah absolutely so it came out of that same belief of wanting to equip girls more than just writing a book um, and women specifically, because I just have such a heart for, um, for women just to understand who they were made to be and just to really run. Cause I know that we can do great things. So I decided to do a conference because when you're in person um, there's just such great things that can happen. Great conversations, great mentorship. So in 2013 we launched our first event in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, we had 40 girls show up and we did just a day event where we come in, we bring speakers, we do breakout groups and we talk about leadership and having influence and um, believing in yourself and understanding that you can walk this journey. Um, so it's for high school and college girls. And then we have also a, um, a 20s and 30s uh, conference as well. When you hear their stories, these young women, whether high school, college, or even, as you say, older women in their 20s and 30s, what are the most salient, like, um, I guess, issues that they bring out? Is there, is there other common themes that you could, like, say that they're a thread of, like, what really holds them back, very specific kinds of things that may be very similar, that either their gender, I mean, that that has a part, is, is a part of it or may be a part of it, or, or whatever else, other, you know, <laughs> Oh, that's the yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, part of it, um, especially as they get older, I find it, it's not so much in high school, um, but as they get older, a lot of it tends to be the gender, though that conversation is changing as we're seeing. Um, and then a lot of it has to do with the negative self-talk, the negative belief, thinking that I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm not worth it, I am worthless, nobody loves me. I mean, these are, these are literal things that they're saying. And um, I actually did a an exercise at a women's conference where I had them write down um, one negative thing that they said to themselves on a regular basis. And I collected all the cards. I had Laura come up, one of the attendees, and I actually taped them kind of on her body. And I read them out loud. And, Catherine, you could hear a pin drop. It was just when it's in your head, it's one thing. But when it was out in the world, it just felt so heavy. It felt so gross. It just felt so hard to hear. And then I took all those cards off and I said, hey, write down one truth that you know to be true about yourself. 
I taped them on, Laura, and I read them out loud, and the energy just changed because, you know, when, we, when we're saying those things, we're programming our brain really to believe them. So it first starts out, oh, that's just one negative thing I think about myself, and then, you know, two weeks, three months, four years down the road, you really, really heavily believe that. So changing that conversation, changing the inner dialogue really holds them back if they're not um, on the offense to do that. And, and that's what we're doing. We're equipping them to change the inner dialogue so that they can be effective, true leaders. And that, that's a big struggle for them. Yep. So you have to change the conversation, as you say. Yeah. Change your belief. We train your brain. And as you do that, then your behavior begins to change. And then the behavior changes the brain as well. I think it's inter- isn't it? I mean, they, they impact yeah. on one another. If you begin to do things slightly differently, then that changes the way you think. It, it, yeah. it, it works together. So this is the goal for these young women. Do you have follow-up? I mean, you've been doing this, what, what four years, three years, uh, for the women who attend the conferences. Like, what changed them? What are they doing? How are they doing things differently now, for instance? Yeah, so we, we follow up them. We have a Facebook group that they can chat with each other and follow up and, and uh, encourage each other. And it's, it's not an overnight success, right? So everyone's on a, on a journey, but it's just cool to see them talk about the fact that they've started to change that conversation, that inner dialogue that, you know, maybe, maybe at school or at college, like, you know, they did something a little bit different. They went out for uh, something they wouldn't have done before. They spoke up a little bit more. They were more confident when they gave presentations. So it's just like little things like that, that start to make a big difference. So it's, it's little steps on this journey that start to kind of change who you are, and then you start to take bigger risks. You start to go out for more. You start to be a better leader. You start to, to really understand that, yeah, I can actually do this. It starts in the little, the little steps every day like we were talking about, and then it gets onto bigger and bigger things. And it would seem to me, I mean, you're doing high school, college, and beyond. You can even start these kinds of, of conferences or programs in middle school. You know, Absolutely. just as when, when you go through puberty, because that's when things sort of begin to happen or begin not to happen, and you begin to have a lot of these negative self-images, or women do as you describe them. So middle school is also, it would seem to me, a good place to begin. Absolutely, yeah. And honestly, sometimes we're even seeing fourth, fifth, sixth grade kids dealing with these issues. They're, they're so much more aware of things um, with social media and older brothers and sisters who are, you know, have social media. They're starting to see things and understand things at such an earlier age, and they don't always have the, the maturity to process it. So even getting to these younger kids and equipping the schools to have, the, to have these kinds of conversations and to pay attention, um, because it's starting even earlier than it ever has before, and they're starting to kind of train their brain in that negative manner. Um, so yeah, the, the earlier that we can get to them and just remind them of these like little things that they can do is super important. Uh, well, it's been a great conversation today, and you are obviously doing really important work, amazing work, I should say. Uh, your book, uh, Leadership Built on Why, A Guide for Young Adults, you can buy it at Amazon. I am sure bookstores everywhere. Uh, but give us a website or more than one website where we can access you, the work you're doing, actually these conferences, for instance, and you know that where we can obviously buy the book. Um, so where can we go? 
Yeah, so the book is available on Amazon. Like you said, Leadership Built on Why. Uh, the website is AnnieKeffer.com, so A-N-N-I-K-E-F-F-E-R.com, and that uh, Annie Keffer is available across all social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, to connect. Great. Great having you on the show today. Thanks so much uh, for being with us, and good luck with the book. Thank you, Catherine. I love being here. It was great to talk to you. Great talking to you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories, too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Krista Clive-Smith, a personal branding expert and author of Get Noticed, Be Remembered, Creating a Personal Brand Strategy for Success. Each of us is born with a gift, a calling, something that sets us apart from the pack, 
Define it, position it, package it, and champion it. Krista Clive Smith takes us on a journey to get noticed and be remembered whether you're a parent, professional, entrepreneur, student, or in the middle of a life transition. Named to the top 40 under 40 list of outstanding young business professionals, Clive Smith is a sought-after speaker and nationally recognized expert in the fields of branding, organizing, and business. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Krista. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so you are a nationally renowned expert on personal branding, and you sort of give it, not sort of, but in your book, and this is the second publishing, of, I guess, of this book, second publication, so it must have been, it is a very popular topic. Um, you help us to, you take us through these step-by-steps methods for personal transformation so that we can be successful, we, we can brand ourselves successfully, um, and you say fully aligned on the outside with who we are on the inside, and that's really important. Um, so why do we need to do this? What is the, the overall importance for us to brand ourselves appropriately and transform ourselves um, in order to be like, successful? Um, why do we need to do this? So when you're younger, I think we spend the first half of our lives trying to fit in and then the last half of our lives trying to stand out. And so we waste a lot of time and energy trying to be something we aren't. And a lot of times you see there's that term called the midlife crisis. Well, in my experience and observations and studies, it looks like the size of the midlife crisis is pretty much a direct correlation to the size of the misalignment of the authenticity of the life you were born to live. And so for some people, that just means I'll go out and get a new sports car when I, you know, get to that age where I'm ready to really be all I can be and bring out that sort of fast persona. And for other people, it means shaking up the entire snow globe and moving into an entirely different life. And so If you take the approach to dig deep at whatever point this content finds you and really spend the time and energy getting to know who you are and then aligning the touch points of your life, it just makes it so much easier for you to move into all that is rightfully by birthright yours. Because you were given with this this incredible unique set of talents and gifts when you came in. And so many people spend a lot, a lot of time and energy pushing that away and every ounce of that was given to you for a reason. And so it's our job and our purpose on the planet to figure out what is the best version of being myself. So for you, what is the highest and best version of being Catherine Zox? For me, Krista Clive Smith. And what does that actually mean? So this book is a series of exercises and it really walks you through in a concrete step-by-step way how to know who you are and bring it to the world. I want to get and go through some of those, but you know, you the word I've never really heard it quite said this way, and it really does make sense. That misalignment, you know, this when you go through a a midlife crisis, uh, that that's very interesting because you know you start driving the race car or you start you know doing you know things that you thought you couldn't do before, but you really could do that before. You saying, I mean, I'm using that as an example. Like if you weren't so misaligned, you know, you really understood who you are and what you were able to do, you could still have the life that you had before your midlife crisis, let's say, and you still could be driving the race car at the same time if you were in sync. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And, you know, it was funny because that's part of what makes 
personal brands and cult followed brands so popular worldwide. So if we take a company like Harley Davidson, their uh, CEO was quoted in Fast Company magazine years ago. And he said, yeah, at Harley, yes, we do sell motorcycles. But more importantly, what we sell is the ability for a 40-year-old accountant to dress in black leather, ride through small towns, and have people be deathly afraid of him. And that's really, when you're buying a brand, that's what you're buying. But so often, the brands that were sold, especially on the personal branding side, there are those misalignments. That's why my focus is really on authentic personal branding. Because you take a look at the early generations of the Martha Stewart brand, the Tiger Woods brand, the Michael Phelps brand. They were the all-American, clean, perfection-based brands, which we as human beings, we know straight out of the driveway that we cannot pull that off by nature of being human. We are flawed creatures. So to present a perfection-based personal brand is just inauthentic right from the minute one. And what ends up happening is when the insider trading scandal breaks or when the you know, outside activities happen with Tiger Woods or the photos surface of Michael Phelps, now as a public, we crucify those people because it isn't just that we've recognized that there's a crack in the facade. It's that we've realized this is a facade. And so it's really, really important to inject the humanity into all of what you stand for. And it isn't just creating some glossy look. So, so how do we do that specifically? That is so important. Your authenticity. Because we're looking at, well, like you mentioned, Tiger Woods. You know, all, Tiger Woods was always Tiger Woods. And how he presented himself was not really who Tiger Woods really was. I mean, that's... Or, so we want to be authentic from the very beginning. We want to brand ourselves, right. but it has to be authentic. How do we specifically do that? You have to be aware, I guess. I mean, let's take us through that. Sure. So let's just stick with Tiger Woods for a moment. So with his extramarital activity, think of other people in the world. Hugh Hefner, the term playboy to describe a man who operates this way, was coined right after the magazine that he founded. I mean, that was definitely fully incorporated into Hugh Hefner's brand. I mean, he was a living, breathing right down to the ascot and sort of the, the robe look that he had visually all the way through to everything he stood for. It was revolutionary, but it was authentic. So there was no fear of him being, quote unquote, found out because that's who he was and he didn't make any apologies for it. That's a good example. Let's take, I mean, those are, we've, now we have two examples. Uh, let's take some women, for instance. Let's give us some examples of women who have started out not authentic, uh, but we've discovered who they really are. And start with that. So we, re- sure, we reference Martha Stewart as okay. one side of that coin, where, you know, her hospital bed corners, the way every turkey came out looking exactly like a magazine cover. I mean, every ounce of her was about perfection until the insider trading scandal broke. And that really told us, wow, okay, there's more to this story. So the next generation of her brand, when she came back into it, now you see her partnering with Snoop Dogg, and she is like getting into, for her and for her previous version of her brand, some uncomfortable places. But guess what? She's now like almost owning the fact that she's done time. She's, you know, associating herself with other characters who most likely have or would do time, right? And so yeah. you, you pair that against someone like 
Oprah Winfrey, who, if you'll, you may not even remember, I mean, it was a huge big deal at the time, but years ago, she was involved in the beef scandal where, you know, in Texas, she had a guest, right, and she had to actually pick up her show, move it to Texas, film at night, be in the courtroom during the day for months and months and months. It was a $100 million lawsuit. And yet what she did is she looked that camera and therefore, you know, the American public in the eye and say, hey, you guys, I totally screwed up. I said some things I should not have said. She owned it fully. There was no cover up. There was no trying to have it be anything other than what it was. And she just asked for the support of the public to help get her through by, you know, still coming to be the audience at night in Texas. And, you know, it was a blip on the radar screen. You have to really kind of go back into the archives of your memory to even access it because she recovered easily because she's never presented herself as being someone who's perfect. I mean, she wheeled across the stage a wagon filled with fat to represent, you know, how much weight she'd lost. And as soon as she put it back on, she tells it like it is. So, we, and that's part of what the resonance is so high with her worldwide, is no one feels like she's anyone other than just another person, even though she is, you know, the wealthiest woman in the world and she's one of the most powerful women in the world. She does feel like someone that you could sit down and have a conversation with and really relate to on a human level. We can relate to her. We can identify with her. Um, she, we can identify with her as, you know, our good friend, our best friend, as you say, even though she's a self-made billionaire and uh, very one of the most powerful women in the world. Maybe that's the attraction of reality TV because we see people, uh, and I'm, I, I don't know if they're good examples, but you see people like the Kardashians or you see, you know, those kinds of uh, individuals or who, you know, tell, well, they sort of, it seems anyway. Tell it like it is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's the other extreme that is, maybe. And I think that yeah. is one of the true charms a reality TV in those senses, but also in a larger sense, every show that you turn on these days, it's now a concept that is very, very mainstream and widespread. 15 years ago, when I first started having this conversation, no one even knew what I was talking about. But now, like every show, whether it happens to be American Idol, America's Got Talent, The Voice, like all the judges themselves are now personal brands. And they really play on the different character development that happens, or if it's The Bachelor or any show that you can point to that is a pop culture hit, people are yearning to have that vulnerability, that authenticity, and that real experience with other people. And, you know, it's such a paradox because through technology and social media, the numbers and the, the data is there that it really creates a lack of connection and increases depression and all of those things. And, and so people are feeling with their actual own network, they're feeling disconnected, but then they turn on the TV and they're feeling connected because they're actually able to see the vulnerability. And that's one of the things with social media. Many people only post the side of life that they want people to see, and it's a curated experience that, again, is lacking that real vulnerability and authenticity. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about, as you're talking, uh, the example of the, the, I guess, Tiger Woods example, but Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose were perfect examples of people here yeah. that, uh, that we thought, oh, I mean, they were sort of the paragon of, of uh, good people and intellectual and, and uh, you know, all of those kinds of 
things, and then they turned out to be, uh, you know, that's that wasn't their authentic self, I guess. So that those are to me, right. those two stick really stick out. Yeah. So, but you're saying okay, whether you're, and I think I mentioned this in the beginning. Um, we talked about midlife crisis or midlife transition, but if you want to have be successful as a parent, let's start. You've got professional entrepreneur, student. Let's start with being a parent. What do you do? How do you? You're talking about. Um, branding yourself as a parent in a in a positive way, and in an authentic way, so that you can be successful as a parent. Yes. So I want to talk about the business model part of it because this is where it okay. comes in for parenting and for entrepreneurs. And so, if you imagine a picture in your mind's eye of a traditional organizational chart, it would have the company at the top and the people at the bottom. So what my model does is it flips that around and it puts the person at the top and all of the different sort of corporate or hats that they wear, the, the roles that they play in life as different little bubbles underneath. And so if you, as a parent, position yourself and the model through which you live life is the personal brand model that has you as a unique individual at the top and then one of the roles that you would play is as a parent. All of a sudden, when you run that model, all of who you are as a person, as a human, the parenting part is just a role that you play. It isn't the be-all, end-all. And the parents out there who are listening to this can really resonate when they look around their peer groups and their friends that there seems to be two sort of fundamental schools of thought in parenting. There's those families where the child arrives and life stops and everything revolves around the child. Or there's the other side where life keeps going and the child just becomes a part of the family and everybody moves forward. So that's almost the same philosophical conversation we're having here, where if you run a personal branding model, that's where you're the, the family or the person where the child arrives and they just move into your life. They are a part of your experience versus becoming the axis on which everything else spins. And what that does you know, for our children, for example, they on the way to school today were going to try to to find the show and be listening live to this. So they're seeing me not just as, you know, a parent or a caregiver. They're seeing me as a unique individual that has a contribution to the world that is above and beyond what I provide to them as unique people. And so I think that what that does is that just changes your relationship with your parent figures. You know, I didn't figure that out until it was almost too late. I mean, my dad was literally on his deathbed before I started to seek out answers to entrepreneurial questions and asking him about his past history, because I think that just wasn't the model that my parents were running. I really saw them primarily as caregivers and there to support me. I think that's very difficult to do as as a child. That's not an easy thing to do for whatever the reason is. Uh, you do. You see your parents as parents. You don't see your father as a businessman or a lawyer or a uh, bus driver or whatever you know, he whatever uh, his profession is or your mother. That's that's a uh, you know. Well, you waited till your father was dying to be able to ask him those kinds of questions. So, um, right, that's probably yeah. Uh, And I feel like in some ways it's a bit of a disservice that we do our lineage because, you know, I have done three 10-day silent retreats in my life 
where there's been no talking and no eye contact for a full period of 10 days. And when I've been in those periods of silence, one of the great things that has come out of that are the questions that I would want to know the answers to. So, you know, in the history books, when we pass down information in our family tree, we really just pass down the general information about who the person was. You know, when they, what the birth date was, the death date, and we don't know, was this person an adventurer? Were they a risk taker? Were they, you know, passive? Were they assertive? What kind of relationship did your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and beyond have? Were they the hold hand type, or was it a business relationship? You know, those are the pieces of our history that if we were watching it on a reality TV show that would be most interesting to us versus just the, the beginning and the end date. And so part of what personal branding as a model with your children and your family is, is it's, it's really embellishing that information and it's bringing out in an authentic way who you are so that your legacy on this planet isn't just, you know, a couple of dates. Don't you think, Krista, with all the, well, besides social media, but the fact that we, we film and video and photograph everything that we do within the family, that you'll have more access to just what you're talking about because you'll have these visuals that you'll be able to see and you'll be able to, you know, at least feel or access some of that information about, you know, whether your, your, your parents or your grandparents, whether they were strict or standoffish or, or whatever, whatever the, you know, the emotional uh, makeup of them uh, was, that that will be helpful as well. Nowadays, yes, with technology being what it is. Now, the one piece, though, that is where the organizing part comes in is that so much of our experience is in a digital form these days, and so few people print off photos and put them in an album anymore. And so just as the 8-track and the cassette tape have gone you know, by the way of, of uh, the dustbin, then so what else will be the next technology of the future? So it is always my urging for people to take that highlight reel of all of the digital side of their lives and make sure to keep relevant and keep in current format the historical following of chronology of all of that information. Otherwise, you may have captured it now, but a generation from now, when there isn't a photo album to pass down to your next generation, you could be in the exact same boat where still people, you, have, you may have recorded it, but they have no way of accessing it. That's good advice, that is, because things do change, I mean, so quickly. I mean, all of this stuff, all the digital stuff changes every three months, as a matter of fact, and we just have access to different kinds of information. Um, and you're right, it's constantly changing. So let's, let, you know, we don't have a lot of time left, so who should we go to next? How do we you know, talk about the parent, the professional, um, student? I mean, uh, what can students do to create a personal brand strategy for success. And well, when I we're talking, yeah. Go, go ahead. Students, and I, I'm not sure what age we start at. Do you, you know, middle school, high school, college? 
Well, I think it's a great exercise to be trying to determine who you are as you grow. So certainly at the high school level, as they're looking to advance into post-secondary, and then once you're bridging that gap at any major life transition, those are the change points that cause us to reflect, or sometimes we don't reflect. We just have to almost trigger into the next step because we don't have the luxury You know, sometimes finances are at play and it's hard to make your next move, which is why personal branding from a a pure business model makes sense. So let's take you as an example, because you are running with your show, a personal brand model. You are the title that is mentioned first. So when you're saying the Catherine Zox show, it is your name that is actually building the brand equity. So that if you've been doing the show for a long time, but let's imagine that you wanted to transition to something different. Well, now, job security, if you have been using a personal brand model where you have placed the equity in your particular face and name, now you carry that equity with you into your next chapter versus people who are promoting and pitching a corporate brand label. So if we took an example of Sheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook, when we first got to know her, it was Facebook as the company brand being promoted, Cheryl in the traditional org chart way at the bottom. But what ended up happening is she flipped the model and said, no, you know what? I'm going to start running a personal brand model. I'm going to write a book called Lean In. And then all of a sudden through the vulnerability and everything she shared with her husband's passing with the the plan B, the second book. Now, all of a sudden, she's got a speaking career. She you know, is a two-time uh, best-selling author. She has a speaking career. Like She has a lot of different things that now the equity is in who she is, and she can carry that along. So in a time and place where job security is a thing of the past, it is important that you place the equity in who you are versus handing that off to a corporate brand model that you'll be promoting. That's where you start to see, you know, even for me, I was a figure skater for 19 years competitively growing up. And many, many athletes faced what I did, which is we identify, self-identify with who we are with our sport. And so what ended up happening for me is I had a career-ending injury. I tore my hip flexor. And overnight, I went from being a competitive figure skater in the eyes of the world to... I have no idea who I am without that. And it caused crisis. So if you take this approach, you're really focused on who am I as the primary place where you'll, you'll focus the personal brand versus what do I do? Because the what do I do is going to change over your lifetime, especially with millennials. I mean, that next generation is set to have, you know, handfuls of careers in their lifetime. So to do it any other way is going to make for a very herky-jerky ride that's filled with lots of uncertainty and constant reinvention versus saying, this is who I am, and in this moment, this is what I do. And then as I'm transitioning to the next thing, this is what I do. And you see a lot of athletes who have done that successfully where they've built the personal brand in their athletic careers so that as soon as transition or change happens, they then move into a broadcasting career. They then move into other careers quickly and easily without having that painful period of time where they have to try to figure out who am I without that. 
Yeah, that is an excellent example, and it's an excellent example to end the show because we have a couple minutes left. And I had a teacher who who uh, actually told me that, not as eloquently as you are presenting it today, but he lost a job uh, because of that. He was promoting the station, rather a uh, radio station, rather than promoting himself. So when he had to leave that job, nobody knew who he was. So he kept he told us as. Uh, radio broadcasters um, to be, be sure that it's, you always mention your name, always mention your name whenever you're doing your show. Um, you don't just mention the name of the show if you're working for somebody else, but that's kind of what, and I always kept that in mind, so I, I think that that's really critical in terms of what you're saying. Um, we have about, we have one minute left, so website we can go to uh, to get more information about your book and about you. And you can buy the book, Amazon Bookstores Everywhere, I assume. Absolutely. It is available worldwide. And the website is KristaClivesmith.com, K-R-I-S-T-A, Clive, C-L-I-V-E, Smith.com. Great. Great talking to you, Jay. Thanks so much, Krista. Good information. Likewise. Thank yeah. you so much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. 